it's funny how things change because I heard that initially they had him just as the boxer on this grill was selling but when they put his family on there like as a family thing boom that changed the thing and then see obviously seeing dad on television when he gets on there and all of a sudden he's biting into a sandwich and saying mm -mm, it's good uh -huh. those people or anybody who's up watching it is like i want some today's guest is the lovely and inspiring georgetta foreman She's a supervising producer for Court TV, a Jefferson, Texas native, and the daughter of legendary heavyweight world champion of boxing, George Foreman. In our engaging and motivating talk, we learn what it's like to grow up fishing and crabbing on the ranch with the champ. We talk about her job at HBO Sports, her feelings about working alongside her dad, the pivot she made while she was away from law school, and how this mother of two boldly moved her family across the country to pursue her dreams. This episode is loaded with words of wisdom and truth as we get to the heart of why everybody loves a comeback, how tough times build tough people, and why it's most rewarding to feel the fear, but do it anyway. Georgetta Foreman, thank you so much for coming down here to Hennessy Studios. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. I appreciate it. So first of all, do you live in LA or did you travel to be here? No, I live in LA. You do? Okay. I'm a Texas native. Okay. All the Foremans, that's where we come from. Yeah. But I went to school here at um, Pepperdine in Malibu. Cool. So once you go Malibu, it's hard to go back, you know? <laughs> I can't think that there's another school that has a nicer view than that one. Hard to beat. Hard it is to beat. so hard to beat. And you have to have good grades to get into a school like that. Yeah, I do. So you did good in school. I did good. You did good in school. Yeah. Got it. Speaking of school, I think we have something in common because I have two boys that just graduated high school. What? Congratulations. Thank you. And don't you have somebody that's graduating here? I do. This weekend, the eldest um, is graduating from Culver Academies in Indiana. So we're flying out to the cornfields. The plan is now she'll be uh, at Howard this fall. So we're looking forward to it. Very cool. Do your sons have plans yet? So um, my one son is going to just do a, a community college um, and then uh, and then maybe transfer to a, maybe a, a different school later. And then my other son, I think, is going to go down the entrepreneurial path. I love both options. Yeah. So good for them. Right. So as long as we as parents can kind of support them and, you know, they don't have all the answers. Right. You know, they just got to figure it out the hard way like we did. Yep. Remember, even when I was saying it's like the plan now, because I mean, this, you know, when school starts, you just never know. You so never know. I'm here to support. So you have two daughters. I have two daughters. Uh, one is 19 and the other one is eight. Eight. So, and she runs the place. <laughs> She's the real leader. We follow. I pretend like I'm not following her, but uh -huh. she's she's the master. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, similar. So I've got a 19 year old boy uh, and then a 17 year old boy. Um, and then my wife and I started all over. We have a five year old daughter. We have so, a lot in company. Yes, I get we this. do. What is your eight year old daughter and what's her name? Eight year old is Kendall. Okay. And the 19 year old is Jessica. Jessica. And what's your eight year old into? She's a dancer. She probably, if I'd let her, she'd be professional at TikTok, you know, like all the kids now. And she uh, loves gymnastics. She's a strong kid. With COVID and all, we really haven't got to immerse her into sure. it the way we want to. But I'm looking forward to that because she loves it. And she's a people person. She's 
all of that, as they say. <laughs> That's awesome. So going back to when you were eight years old, what was that like? When I was eight years old, funny you should ask, because I'm. it makes you think, I was like, I was into singing. You okay. couldn't have told me I wasn't going to grow up to be Diana Ross. Is that right? Yeah. Uh -huh. But I think somewhere in my brain, I was like, you probably should aim differently. Yeah. And then I went into broadcasting. I just knew that I'd grow up and I'd be on the Today Show hosting. And that didn't happen either. But here we are. <laughs> so good well, life. It's not too late. It's not, uh, yeah, right? it's not too late. It's not too late. Yeah. I think you've got a pretty famous dad that did things later <laughs> in life, right? Yeah, that's yes. true. So you grew up with a large family? Large family. Let's see. My father, you know, George Foreman there, yeah. he had... Um, 10 children in all. 10 children. So that's a lot of people, yep. a lot of personalities. Uh -huh. I've learned to love people and then find my space. I was that girl like, let me get my Fisher Price radio <laughs> and let me go in the corner. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, great childhood. No complaints here. The story is your dad named all of his boys George, right? Yeah. And then Georgetta, but not all the other girls are Georgetta, right? You know, it's that is so strange because I hear different stories. Clearly, he named all these boys George yeah. because he always says that it's because, oh, you know, you get yourself hit in the head a couple of times. You're not going to remember. Uh -huh. But it was also a deeper thing. Like yeah. he learned later in life who his biological father was. OK, so he wanted to make sure no matter what that his kids would always know that you're connected to someone else. Sure. And when it came to Georgetta, I've heard many stories. My mother said I named her. No, the doc. My mother said the doctor named me. OK. My dad said, well, she must have called me the doctor. So I'll never <laughs> get the real story, but I'm here. So <laughs> you're here. And then my sister was Frida George Foreman. Did everybody have nicknames? Yeah. All the boys. There is George Jr., which we call Little George. There yeah. was Monk. There's Big Will. Red and Joe. And okay. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and where's everybody living? Are they all over or? Mostly now my brother Monk, George III, is mm -hmm. out here in Calabasas. He just opened a gym called Craft Boxing. Okay. So he's always up for some fun. So it's nice to have someone on this side of the world with me. Yeah. Uh, one of the foremans. And then also I have a sister in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. And then I have, there, everyone else is in Texas. They're not leaving. They They're all in Texas. Texas. They're every bit of Texas. So Got it. You are the middle child or? Young? I guess you would say that. I'm four, number four out of 10. When was the moment that you realized that your dad was kind of like a big deal? That's how I learned how to read. I know that sounds silly. Yeah. I grew up in a really small town called Jefferson, Texas. My dad was in Houston, but my mom Grew up in Jefferson, Texas, which was near my dad's ranch. So they both remarried. Great life. No complaints there. But in this small town, everyone would walk up to me and be like, hey, so, you know, George Foreman's your dad. So uh -huh. for me, I thought that meant that I was supposed to know kids' parents. So uh -huh. I'd be like, oh, so Mary's your mom. You know, I'd <laughs> learn. And then people would just always talk to me. And after a while, I started thinking, this is very young age. I started thinking like, who is my dad? Because my dad didn't talk about it. You no. know, he was just a loving guy bringing in the watermelon and coming home and playing. My mom and my grandmother would have newspaper articles. Young age, I would start reading. That's how I started learning to read because I would be like, well, who is he? Sure. But I, I guess, you know, as a kid, I guess it would be logical just to go ask your parents, who are you? Why are they talking about you? But that's how I learned to read. You know, he's not just a boxer. I mean, he's a world champ, 
right? First of all, and and in order to kind of become a world champ, you have to be a, an icon and 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 at the top level of what you do, you know, because there's a lot of kids that have parents that are boxers, but he stepped foot and beat Joe Frazier. He got in the ring with Muhammad Ali. I mean, like he is an icon. I can't even downplay that. No. I can't say, you know, no, I mean, there's uh-huh. nothing to it, but that's legendary. And did you and your brothers and sisters spend time at the gym? Did you watch him? The first part of the childhood, you know, maybe up until about nine or so, you know, dad was just a dad. And then there was a time where I was telling the story of how he set us all down at the kitchen table, all the forming kids. And he tells us as he's going back into the ring to boxing. And, you know, my brain is like, I don't even know what that means. Though I've read these things, having this conversation that's kind of over our heads, you Mm -hmm. know, he's like, and I'm going to be the heavyweight champion of the world. I'm never going to embarrass any of you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to remain a faithful husband. And if you do something and you do something, we're all in this together. We all go down. Mm -hmm. So he's given us all this responsibility. And I don't know what to think. Later, we find out that dad's really in the ring. So we're looking at the ring, you know, we're helping him because boxing, as my dad said, it's a lonely sport. Mm. But when you have 10 kids or at least that many, some kids at that point, because more came after that. When you have these kids, we're in the gym, you know, we're helping him count the rounds. Hmm. You know, my sister Natalie is helping him run on the track. So we've become part of this training camp in some ways. What a great thing to put into your kids' heads as far as, you know, just the mindset, that positive can-do attitude, right? He didn't say, I'm just going to go back and fight. I'm going to become the world champ again. Nope. He had a big goal. Then along the way, as you know the story, mm-hmm. he gets big, right? Yeah. At first, he's a joke. He's big. He's fat. They're saying, oh, he's a joke to the sport. Mm -hmm. Well, then he's winning. Mm. And then, you know, next thing you know, dad's on McDonald's holding up the Big Macs. He has on Nikes. He has all these big endorsements. Yeah. And he's cashing in. Uh And that could have been it. You know, then the grill is coming. But he he said he was going to be the champion. He said he didn't stop at any type of amount. Yeah. Or there was no money that could have been paid until he did what he set out to do. That is amazing. Like, because who does that? At some point you go, ah, you know, this is good. I don't have to do that, right? How strong is the mind, right? The mind is so powerful and it tells the body what we're going to do, right? And and he did it. Because I got to imagine growing up, right? Because he was big in the 70s. And I think you probably were just born- 77. Okay. That's when his last fight was. You probably grew up with your dad kind of watching probably Mike Tyson fights and Absolutely stuff. Absolutely not. No, that is not what my father did. No. At that point huh. in 1977, he had his a religious experience. Oh, OK. And so my childhood was in a house where there was no TV. We went to the movies, hmm. but we were playing games. My father was extremely engaged, okay. like talking to us and things of that. Let's go fishing. Let's go crabbing. Never. I, we didn't even watch TV at home. Hmm. It was not a thing. Sometimes I'd be like, oh, dad, I saw you on the show, you know, at my mom's house. He wouldn't even comment on it. No. Uh. That was so my early childhood. It was not that. I can remember when the television rolled into the living room. Hmm. And that was after he told us he was going to be the heavyweight boxing champion of the world because then he had to watch film on these guys. Uh. But before that, there was no TV. There was never him gloating about his past. I never heard that no no that's why i had to read about it and uh, back in the day there's no youtube or anything right you can't go back and like watch a lot of this i saw him on sanford and son and i was that's my reference you know what i mean like i saw you were on sanford and son you'd be like "Uh." (laughs) 
Uh. You would never act like it was a big deal. So as an eight-year-old, what were you into? I was just an eight-year-old, okay. you know, like I said, trying to be Diana Ross. Yeah, okay. going to be the singer. Okay, got it. <laughs> but not really, you know, and just being a kid. My dad had a ranch. Okay. I grew up on five acres. So being outside, riding my bike, that was what I was into. School was important to me. Being into sports, you know, I think I was such a clown. I was actually the school mascot. Really? I was the drum major. I've done it all because... I was just that person that I was going to try it all. So. Uh-huh. And what was mom like? Or is mom still around? Dad married my stepmom, yeah. who is uh, Mary Foreman. Yeah. We call her Joan with all love. And she's great. She's great. Uh-huh. And they're back in Texas, too. They're all in Texas and living their best Texas lives. So. That's awesome. So you graduated high school and you said, I'm going to Cali. Is that right? Well, that's what I ended up doing. Initially, I wanted to go to the East Coast. I really did. But then... I don't know. Back then, the East Coast, it just wasn't as clean as it is now. You know what I mean? Like, it was just a little like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I was a little intimidated by the city. And even my mom was like, I'm not dropping off in New York City or any of those cities. And then I came out to visit California. And when I saw Pepperdine, they had a television station, great views. I was like, sign me up. As a matter of fact, um, this week, um, they had a camp. My dad, the reason why we had come out to uh, Pepperdine is because the chancellor at the school had, I guess, been to my dad's fight. Okay. And he had invited them to speak at this uh, seminar that they have every summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad's done that for m- many years. That was his first time. So I was just tagging along like, mm-hmm. okay. And when I got to that school, I was like, this is it. This is where I'm going. And I'm proud to say this summer, I'm actually speaking at that same camp. That's amazing. So now you mentioned that, you know, there's a TV program. So did you know what you were wanting to do after, like after high school? You wanted to kind of get yeah, into TV? Yeah, I always TV? wanted to be in TV. You did? Like, yeah. And I think it really revolved around that's what I did every morning when okay. I was growing up. Like you had to watch TV to know what the weather was. So it was like every morning the TV was on and I watched the Today Show and I watched the weather person. So that was was like, well, that's what I'm going to do. That's what you're going to do, mm-hmm. right? You said, good morning, America. Yeah. Right? That's what you <laughs> wanted the, to do. Yeah, you want to be show. in front of the TV, That's right? what I wanted to do. And then as college happened back then, it wasn't like you could, like now you can be on Instagram. You can have your own show. You could do it once you. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like that when, you know, I'd send my tapes out to different places. That never happened. But I was also good at producing. I didn't know what that was called before that. But, you know, in school you start doing things. And so I just kept getting producer gigs and I kept saying, nope, that's not what I want to do. And then here we are doing it. And so do you remember like your first gig out of college when you're like, wow, this is cool. I'm doing what I love. Oh, I got really spoiled because my first real out of college gig, which was little pay, but I got to work at HBO Sports. And so I got to go to all the boxing matches and all of that. Oh, my gosh. When I think about it, it's like if I could just go back in time and realize what that was, you know, it was like little money. But it was everything. So what were you doing? So you were traveling on the boxing circuit and kind of covering. Well, I was living in New York. And then afterwards, I ended up working with dad. Like, I think I stayed there for maybe, you know, nine months, a year. Then I started working with dad. And at the time, you know, the grill was coming up. So we were helping out. There was so much to do. And I started traveling with him and so forth. And I did that. And then the the little girl in me was like, 
I want to do it on my own. I want to do it on my own. So, you know, trying to figure out my bearings. I taught school for like a year. My grandmother was a teacher. So you're like, well, I'll try this. You know, I'll try that. Nothing wrong with that. So I did that for a year. And I remember at the end of the school year, I said, I can't teach these kids how to go follow their dreams if I won't do it myself. Mm, That's powerful. Yeah. And Mm. so I was like, this was fun. I respect any teacher out there. Respect And I didn't know what I was going to do. And there was a lady that was working with um, some projects, trying to work with some projects with dad. And she remembered that I was into TV. And then she says, "Uh, you know, I know there's this job I'm a little overqualified for. They need like an associate producer. So a national show came to Houston, Texas. It was called Texas Justice. And Mm. it was over the top. We bought horses in the courtroom. You know, anything (laughs) crazy you can think of. It happened on Texas Justice. And mm. that's when I really got the talk show court bug. Yeah. Because I didn't, at first I was like, ah, there's no way I'm going to, I didn't think I was going to do it, uh-huh. but you know, here I am. So Texas justice. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Like it roots led back home, right. To Texas. But there was a lot of stuff that you covered in between there. That right. So, so you, you said the the grill, how did that even come about? Well, I won't, I don't know the specifics, uh-huh. uh, because I'll mess that story up. And that's what I don't want to do. You don't want to talk about that. No, not don't Uh want to talk about it, but I don't want to mess up the specifics. But Mm -hmm. I will say that the grill was Mary Foreman, Joan, dad's wife. I will give her so much credit because she had to feed these kids, you know, all Mm -hmm. of us. She would bring the grill out and she started telling dad, this thing works. This Mm thing's works. So dad was able to call up the people who had, you know, once given him the grill or whatever, and they made a deal, hmm. a small deal that he won big on. So, yeah. Wow. They all won big on, let's be clear. So, well, because they, you know, A, they had your dad that was a big part of it, but then um, they put so much marketing behind that, right? And I think you worked in the marketing department, yeah. right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I got to help out along the way you, on you a did. long time. Yeah. But the biggest thing is with him, it was, it's funny how things change because I heard that. I've heard different stories here and there. Mind you, I was younger. But some of it is that, you know, initially they had him just as the boxer on this grill. Oh, that's, you know, that's great. Was selling. But when they put his family on there, like as a family thing, boom, that changed the thing. And then see, obviously seeing dad on television. That's so powerful. Just to be such a part of, of that and see your dad doing what he loves. And then later on, you know, making a product that, is probably in like most homes. Pretty cool stuff. The grill was one thing, but dad was able to put his touches on it and make it, he says, make it prettier, put his signature on it. That was actually even before he came back to boxing, right? Nope. The grill? That was not. No, that oh. would not have been able to happen without that comeback. Because ah. everybody, as I say it all the time, everybody loves a comeback. That was probably a, a huge deal for, for the family was kind of seeing that comeback. The whole comeback itself was just life changing. We went from that kitchen table moment to seeing, OK, dad's working out. He's winning some fights to, you know, our lives have just changed. Next thing you know, dad has a television show. So our lives just shifted in a way that. It's just hard to explain. Now, there was a time that you moved to Atlanta. Is that right? Well, so that was a, a story in okay. itself. So I want to hear that because I lived in, like, we have a lot in common, You right? did live yeah. in, how I long were you in Atlanta? Atlanta? I lived in Roswell, Georgia, okay. if you're familiar with the area. We moved from Vegas back when uh, my wife and I had kids, and they were like four and three years old. 
and we wanted to kind of raise them in a different area. And so we decided to up and move to, to Georgia. Well, I'm curious how you got back here. Yeah, I'll tell you that story. So uh, we went to Georgia. We were there from 2008 to about 2015. And then my son, who was about 11 years old at the time, woke up one day, similar to you, and said, I want to be on TV. And so we're like, okay. And so I sold my company and we were going to live vicariously through my one son's dreams. And it brought us out to Hollywood. And here we are. He ended up pursuing the acting um, and he was doing a lot of Disney and Nickelodeon, doing a lot of uh, commercial work as you do as a kid. My wife was kind of the mommy manager, taking him all over town. It was it was so surreal, you know, like all of a sudden it's like, hey, you've got an audition. You got to go to Paramount Pictures right. or Universal Studios, right? And going through the back lot, not as a, you know, a tourist, right. but as like somebody that's going to audition for a major TV show. It was so surreal. And, you know, he booked a lot. He never really booked his like debut role where he's like, he he, he came very close on a couple things. Um, Stranger Things was one that he came close on, a couple movies. And then he turned 17. And when you turn 17, it's a lot harder to book things because they take like 18 year olds. Mm, I got it. You, you know, the right. world, right? Where you don't have to have, you know, tutor on set. It's right. a lot cheaper. And so, but he'll be 18 in July and then he'll, uh, he'll kick that back off again. But yeah. it sounds like he brought you here. He did bring me here. He's the reason Please why we're Please tell here. me, I need to know, like, how did you get in this seat? Like, how did you start with your own podcast? I love this. Look at you yeah. shifting the table here. <laughs> so as a kid, you know, I would always watch like talk shows like you. Yeah. I was going to be a professional baseball player, right? You could wow. not tell me that I was not going to be a professional <laughs> baseball player, right? You know, it was either that or I was going to take David Letterman's job. For whatever reason, I would watch him at night and be like, this guy's got the life, right? He, right. He's just himself. <laughs> yes. And he just brings on interesting people that Why are all not? fascinating. And he just sits there and talks to them about life and about just whatever. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm like, someday, you know, I'll take David Letterman's job, right? My life played out where I did not become a professional baseball player. Instead, I became more of an entrepreneur. Um, I built a business and then I sold a business and then I built another business. And the business that I have now is a digital marketing agency. Um, and so that's kind of what I do. I've got got about 150, 160 full-time employees. It's a remote company. So we got people from New York, to Bulgaria, like, and everywhere in between. And then this was really, you know, if you build it, they'll come. And so I basically built this studio and we do all kinds of shoots here. This was just me having a vision to be David Letterman and interview people like you coming onto the show here. That is so amazing. I'm mm -hmm. so proud of you. Like, Thank you. But my biggest thing is the entrepreneurial route. That sounds like most people's like, oh, I'm gonna start a business. I don't think that's what people, I don't think they really, I don't. Yeah. How did you know you had it, first yeah. of all, to do that? So as a kid, I thought differently. It's either nature or nurture, I guess, right? And for me, I think it was more nature where I would be at like a pizza shop at like, I don't know, like 12 years old. And while most people are kind of enjoying their pizza and thinking about homework in class, I'd be sitting there being like, man, how awesome is this place? They've got like seven people online. Everybody's paying them like $6. You know, the location's right by a school, right? So right. they get all that. So my mind is thinking as like a entrepreneur right. as early as those days, right? Wow. 
Wow. You know, I was just bold. I took a lot of chances. Did you have support? Like, were your parents like, oh, yeah, here's 50 cents. Go do this. Like, yeah. You know, uh, the support that I did have. So my mom cleaned houses and my dad wasn't in the picture. So it came from very humble beginnings. My mom would give me, you know, we would go to like Costco Price Club is what it was called back in the day. Right. And so we go there and my mom would like give me like six dollars to buy like the juicy fruit gums that come in a pack of like 12. Right. And then I would buy that and then I would sell it you know, at school and I'd make like double the profit. And so I was doing all kinds of stuff like that, you know, but it was because I didn't want to ask her for money. I, I wanted to buy my own video games and stuff. They say tough times build tough people. That's right. I mean, though you sound like you had a good childhood, you yeah. had that sense of like, I don't want to bother my mother. She has enough. You know, now here we are, you know, I've made a lot of bold decisions and, uh, you know, not everything was uh, perfect. I've made some mistakes, but you learn from your mistakes. You fail forward, right? And not minimize that type of boldness. The drive, yeah. the hustle. Yeah. Can't minimize it. You know, but I fear for my kids, though. Yeah. To your quote, right? They say, you know, hard times create strong men mm -hmm. or women, right? Right. You know, but then strong men and strong women create easy times. And so I think my kids are kind of living in the easy times. But what they see in you, I get it. Mm -hmm. I understand we think about like that all the yeah. time. But what they see in you, they're going to have that. take something. At least, you know, you left something behind that they mm -hmm. can always fall back on. Sure. So. so that's how I got here and ended up in, in Hollywood. So now back to your story about Atlanta. What brought you there? I was wrapped up at Let's Make a Deal, the game show. Mm -hmm. So there I was doing trade outs. You know, it's a big game show. So I would call different companies like, hey, we'd like to promote your you know, whether it's your hotel or whatever it is, your luxury item on our show, let's trade the prize for airtime. And then about five years into it, it was like, uh, you can only trade out so much. For me, I was getting bored, I'll be honest. Love the show, probably have never worked at a better situation. Sometimes I go, why did I leave that? It was in me to go back to story. So I went to my brother, as a matter of fact, I was just didn't know what I was going to do. And I have a brother who's in the military and he was living in Evans, Georgia. So he was out there. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to come stay with you for like, I don't know, maybe a month or so to figure it out. And as I'm moving there, I get a job in Atlanta. Unfortunately, the youngest kid was really just having a tough time. She was about three, four. She just wasn't well. So it was like she needed more of my attention. So I actually did not get to live in Atlanta, but I got job there and, and planned on living there. And I never got to. And it was really, I just feel like we're always, we're where we're supposed to be. But sometimes it was the one thing of like, man, I wish I had gotten to actually live there. I did stay in Evans, Georgia for like six months. So I once I was there, I was like, oh, I'll just finish out this time with my brother for some months. Didn't get to move to Atlanta. Always thought about it, but this sunshine keeps calling me back. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> like you said, it's everything is meant to be. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's what it is, right? Yeah. I, I like Georgia. It was a good place to raise kids. My kids got into the Walking Dead show. Oh, um, yeah. You were right there. That's right. Yeah. Right, right. And that's kind of why he wanted to be on TV. We'd watch that. So why didn't you think we could just do this right here in Atlanta? Well, he was signed with a, a group called the People Store. So he did have representation there. We had a manager that was in L.A. And then he also had another representation, which was in L.A. And we just thought that the uh, the bigger opportunity was to come out to Hollywood. Got it. And, and things have changed since then, too. By it the sure way. has. But that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it sure has. You know, and what they're doing now in, in Atlanta, it is Hollywood now. You know, what I mean, it's like the second Hollywood. So you were working a lot in 
court TV. What was the Texas show called again? Texas Justice. Texas That's Justice. What it all started with <laughs> Judge Larry Joe Daugherty. It was a mess. And so was that like during the same time as like the Judge Judy's of the oh, world? It was, it was all of it that. It was all happening it was at the all same time. The same time. Ah, okay. And they somehow 20th television got hold to this situation in Houston. I don't know how that came about, but that's what happened. And then from there, I ended up coming back to LA. You know, I don't know how. I just ended up, like I said, coming so, back to LA. Uh -huh. wasn't planned. So I moved here to LA and I started working at Divorce Court. Okay. So I did that for a bit. And I've been lucky enough, you know, with these kids and stuff to be able to take a little time off. So I took some time off. Then uh, there's Judge Alex. Now I do six shows at okay. Entertainment Studios. So you do. I'm the supervising producer there. Yeah. Okay. And mm -hmm. it's still court TV shows? Stuff? Six court TV shows. Really? But this one is a little different. There's a little bit of twist on it. And so what does a, a day in the life look like for you? Like, what do you do there? To sum it up, I can't tell everything. Okay. But I'll just say, like, before a person goes out yeah. in front of that podium, make i make sure they know their story okay they're confident about their story it's going to be clear it's going to be entertaining it's going to be a good time and they're going to feel good about it did you ever have aspirations of going to law school or anything how'd or? you know that i'm just you're... so funny you should ask okay. again why uh -huh. am i saying that it's funny that's one of our shows at entertainment studios i don't work on it uh -huh. but i keep saying funny you can ask okay, okay. so um I did. I actually got accepted into a law school. Okay. And my last minute, I was like, I was going to go to this law school. And then I got, I just got nervous and scared. Mm -hmm. I already had my first kid and I moved down to Florida to mm -hmm. go to law school. And then I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to have all this debt. I don't know. You sure. Yeah. And I just got afraid, even though I think it would have been a really good turn for my life, which what I've learned from that is what you're afraid of, do it. Mm. Just do it. Sure. I can't go back in time. I can always move forward if I wanted to do that That's again. Right. Yep. But go for it. Just sure. go for it. And I have to tell myself that every day because I don't necessarily live by that. Mm. But because you don't do it enough. You know what I mean? If we all live by that, do you know how amazing we all would be? Right. But there's so much fear in things because you feel like, well, I need to take care of something else. But it's just excuses. Go for it. Hey, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was in the Air Force. Um, yeah. I did four years in the Air Force. While I was in the Air Force, I was doing community college, right? So the same path my son is going to take. I got out of the Air Force and I was going to UNLV. And then I was studying for the LSAT because I too had a, aspirations of becoming a lawyer. I'm like, all right, before I do this and go into so much debt, like yeah. you said, do I really want to be a lawyer? And so what I did was I reached out to a district attorney. Mm-hmm. And I told him my story and I said, I'm thinking about this, but is it okay if I like shadow you a couple right. of weeks? They let me shadow the uh, the attorney and I spent 30 days doing it. And come to find out, I didn't want to be a lawyer, right? Because I had this entrepreneurial thing, mm -hmm. right? That I was into. And so I never pursued becoming a lawyer, but like you, right? Where you're kind of working on court TV, the path led me to becoming a marketer. Right. And I do marketing for law firms. <laughs> so that's kind of what my agency does now. Right. Took some time off and I was living in the DC area mm -hmm. and I met with these amazing attorneys and they all told me, don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. And so maybe I did the right thing. I don't know. But they were all like, you don't want to do this. Don't do it. You know, it's like, it's what they do, yep. but not necessarily happy in what they do. So mm -hmm. I don't know. But I, you know, for me, you know, it's like, 
a little extra something on the resume never hurt anybody. So, <laughs> <laughs> so positive mindset, fitness, those are things that are a big part of your life. And I hear you have like a Facebook community that you created. So listen, I'm like, the struggle is real. Uh-huh. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah. So I always tell the story because like um, from after the Atlanta turned off, I didn't get to take that job. Yeah. Though I was doing different things. I was doing trying to work on a podcast with my dad type of situation. It was, you know, we, we got some things in the can. I was in Houston. I just wasn't finding my, you know, mm-hmm. it was just like I was doing different things helping that Hurricane Harvey was a big deal there oh, and just wow. trying to help out in communities, reaching out. I was doing everything I can, but I just, you know, it's like, I don't know what I needed, but I wasn't finding the work in the sense that like was making me feel fulfilled. Okay. Sure. So I reached out to a friend and, um, that I for- really forgotten about, I hadn't talked to in years and I called her up and I'm like, Hey, you know, I know you do these court shows, at entertainment studios, um, and she goes, I think I was like, oh, and I'm looking for work. And it was like really quick. You know how somebody's picking up the phone like, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. That's what she, uh-huh. she said, okay. And this was like end of November. She's like, okay, be here January 7th. And I was like, huh? You know how when you're applying for jobs and then somebody just said, okay, be here. And I was like, oh, she didn't mean that. I was <laughs> nervous because one, it didn't give me a lot of time to pack up. Two, did she really mean it? Because she just sounded like she was like, next, I got something else to do. So she's in LA, you're in she's Houston. She's in LA and I'm okay. in Houston. Mm-hmm. She doesn't hear me properly. She thinks I'm in LA too. I am not in LA. Like nothing about me is in LA. I'm in Houston. Uh-huh. And then, so I'm like, okay. So I don't really trust it because it was weird. So I call her back the next two weeks. Like, so you sure? She's like, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like stop calling me lady. I already said yes. Yeah. So I pack my stuff up, move out to LA, like literally get here day before first day of work. And, you know, just start grinding. Like I really don't even have a place to stay. You know, I found this lady I this place off of Craigslist and I'm caught or one of those lists, sure, you know, yeah. and it's like, okay, hope we all right. You know, and I start working. It's that place gave me lots of stories. I wouldn't be able to do my job without those stories that sure. I got to write. But anyway, I get here and it's just such a grind, you know, it's such a grind. I appreciated every second of it, but I wasn't taking care of myself, but I didn't really notice that because I'm grinding and I'm like, yay, I'm back. And one of my, I got to do a TEDx talk. I seen so it. I'm it was doing awesome. the thank you. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing the TEDx talk, and and right afterwards, people are sending me pictures, and my hair looks good, <laughs> my makeup looks good, but I'm like, who's she? Uh-huh. Like I don't look like myself. You know what I mean? Like it may not be dramatic to anybody else, but for me, I was like, okay. And it wasn't about just physically what you look like, because I'm not a small person now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm a person. Do not talk to me about food because I love it. Uh It was about what did that mean? I realized I was trying to make sure everybody else was good, but I wasn't treating myself well. Fast forward, seeing those pictures, and I was so embarrassed to share that TEDx talk. I didn't want to. And one of my friends, she's a bully. She was like, share it, share it, share it. You know, so I was like, okay, fine. You know, I didn't tell her what was going on with me. And I shared it. And it was such a release because what I released at that moment was, who you are at this moment, that's who you are. And that's okay. Like I'd done something great. So many times all we look at ourselves and we just try to criticize, find something to criticize. You know, I let it go. I let the message do whatever it did. And moving forward, when I was ready to go, okay, let's kind of hone this in. And it took a while. Like, you know, then COVID came and all those things. Let's hone this in. I literally shared it with a few people on my Facebook, like, okay, Will Smith had this thing called Big Willie Challenge. He was like a 12-week challenge. 
I don't know what happened to him and I don't know what happened to a lot of people. But after 12 weeks, I actually did it. And so people are like, oh, how did you do it? Because no one did it with me. Nobody. No. Nobody. Uh-huh. After 12 weeks, I was like, oh, my gosh, I lost 30 pounds. Like it wasn't even the pounds. It was like I'm back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm still not all the way where I want to be. I'm back to a person that I know. People just inboxing me like, how'd you do it? What did you do? Da, 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 da. And at the time, I was like, I can't tell people what to eat. I don't know. I was just determined. Mm. I talked to my brother who was like, I told you, he had at the time, his company craft boxing was just online. Yep. So I was like, hey, brother, uh, I'm going to start a Facebook group and I need some fitness. Can you give me some fitness? And he's like, OK. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, well, I'll give everybody like I was like, can they have like 90 days or something like that? I said 12 weeks. He said, I'll do better than that. 90 days. OK, okay. we did that. And then I was like, they keep asking me what to eat. I can't tell people what to eat. I don't know yeah. because I know what you eat and what I eat have nothing to do with each other. Sure. You know, uh-huh. so he was like, I have some nutritionist friends. I'm like, great. So he lent me those, you know, the 90 days and his nutritionist friend. And we've been going strong. It's a very small group. It's like only it's a group of like 800 people. OK. But the results are so big and everyone's there just like holding each other accountable. Like we're finishing up one of our 12 week challenge at the end of June. And we're just there to remind each other that. So what? You fall down, get up. Sure. Like it's just don't give up on yourself. It's so amazing because most of the people are people that knew me, you know, my whole life. And so everyone's there. I'm the person they have all in common. But it's in a community and it's so great to see everybody cheering for each other. That's amazing, right? Because a lot of times people just don't have the support. And it's like no judgment, but come on. It's called Georgetta, get fit, get fine. That's what we at. Georgetta <laughs> Foreman, get fit, get fine. So GF, GF, GF. Sometimes like I find myself, you get on the health kick, but then you fall off the health kick. Right. Motivated, motivated. And all of a sudden you're at an In-N-Out burger and you have that soda. And it's like, all right, well, I cheated once. I could cheat again. Right. And you cheat again. Then you go down that path. And it really is so powerful how it can change your whole mindset when you're not making the right choices. Discipline can take you off a whole lot further than motivation. Sure. Motivation is great. But if you don't have discipline, forget it. That's powerful. That's so true. That's something I learned from my dad. Like at the end Mm. of the day, to do what he did. Yeah. That was discipline. I watched it. Sure. And not just in the ring, but outside the ring. There's so many distractions. Like I always tell the story, like when he set us down at that table that day, he literally said the weirdest thing on earth. He was like, I'm going to remain a faithful husband. And as a kid, you're like, okay. Okay, but that was discipline. He knew what was out in the world beyond our walls. Uh And he was like, I'm not going to let anything mess up this. Is it true? I I watched a video in preparation for this. Your grandpa held up your dad and said, you're going to be the champion someday as a kid. Is that a true story? True story. It is a true story. Weirdest thing that that means if you ask me, that means we can talk life amongst each other. You know what I mean? Over your kids. Uh J.D. Foreman, he did. He raised him up. George Foreman, heavyweight boxing champion of the world. He He did. did. Is that right? He knew. Or maybe he didn't know, but he spoke it. You know, sometimes you just, you think you're just saying something or Mm. you don't even like, why did I say that? Where did they come from? What was grandpa like? Was he into boxing? I would imagine back in those days, a slugger was something everybody was into. What do you think is your biggest motivation in life? I've always understood mental health. I've known family members that struggle or people that struggle. So I've never drank because I'm, I'm afraid. Like I, I've never drugs, any of those things, because I'm so like, this is all I have. I've seen when people don't have it, nothing else matters. So no like 
if anybody else, they can do what they want to. But that's just my stance on things because I'm just so afraid to lose that. If you ask me what my motivation is, doing my best for everyone around me, mm-hmm. be all right. And not just around me, like my little circle of people. But if I can help in the whole grand scheme of things, oh, yeah. like remind everybody of why they matter, why they need to be here. Yeah. That's it. Every day you wake up, it's showtime, right? <laughs> whoever whoever you're going to speak to, you know, if you're going to buy somebody coffee behind you, right? It's just... Give. Money is cheap. Mm-hmm. So everything is not about money. Mm-hmm. Totally not. When you look at like Oprah's of the world or the, you know, the Bill Gates of the world, how much money do you really need? <laughs> you know? <laughs> With that said, I want money. I like money. And there are a lot of things money can do. That's right. You yeah. know, and I think... I love the Bill Gates and the Oprah and all yeah. those world because uh-huh. they have it to give. So we like to end our segments with a thing called Hennessy Heart to Heart. Okay. It's where I just ask you questions and then you just answer with whatever's on your mind. What makes you smile when you're having a bad day? Memories. Hmm. Just memories of just, I've had a, a good life and I don't care what you've been through. If you can have a couple of good memories, mm-hmm. that can take you a long way. Yeah. Who in your family do you feel the closest to? Well, I have to say my children. Yeah. And I'll just both of them. I just something about those girls. Mm. They are everything. And of course, I, you know, everybody else. I love you. Love my dad. Mm-hmm. All those things. But those girls right there, yeah. they get me. They are me. I look forward to meeting them someday. Do you think there is an age where people should be settling down? You mean like marriage? Yeah. Ha ha ha. I tell my kids it's 30. 30. I tell them 30. Okay. And that's for women because I'm a woman. I can't speak for a man because I don't know men. Okay. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, I'm not a man. I yeah. do know men, but I don't, I'm not a man. Uh-huh. So I just tell them because it, for me, that gives you an, a time to enjoy life, build you an education, figure out what you like, who you are, have some experience and then go, I I'll do this. That's my thought. That's but. a good age. Although my daughter's not allowed to get married. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Is there something you think a lot about parents that they do that negatively impacts children? They don't listen to their children. Hmm. They talk at them and they expect them to just do. But they are children. Like they are real people. Though they're small people, they're real people, real thoughts. Like you just jumped out. With your son and said, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was positive. Sure. But had you said, go sit down somewhere or don't, didn't hear him, mm-hmm. you know, th- th- listen, not everybody can jump up and go to Hollywood with their kid. Sure. But even if you were a parent, would say, well, tell me about what kind of roles you want to do. Just listening and engaging mm-hmm. and treating them like real people. Being present. Being right? present. Yeah. yeah. I had a story I'll share with you. Um, so I'm sitting at my home office just working. My daughter and my wife go to like a birthday party. And my daughter's like, you know, four years old at, t- at the time. And so you go to this birthday party and they're away for like two hours. And it's a Saturday morning. I'm like, okay, I'll be able to catch up on some emails and stuff. So I'm doing that. They come home, right? And my daughter comes running in my office and she's like, daddy, daddy, look, look what I made. Look what I made. And she had made this like slime at this birthday party. And it was really cool. And she was so proud of it because you got to put beads in your slime. She was so excited about it. And she came running in my room and I looked over at her, right? Cause I'm in the middle of writing an email that's important. Right. right. And I'm just like, oh my God, that's 
awesome. That's so good, right? I went back to my desk and I started working, right? But I wasn't living in, in her moment because her big, that was a big deal for her. And I didn't make that my big deal. Yeah. Right. And I think as parents, we do that a lot, you know, whether you're on the phone or texting somebody or dealing with a work issue and something happens to your child that's such a big deal and it's just not your big deal. At I the totally moment, get it. You know, my master Kindle reminds me all the time. Huh. You didn't pay attention. You didn't really see, see? it. So I'll go, OK, OK. Yeah. <laughs> but it's important for us it parents is. to recognize it. Anyway, so I keep slime on my desk now, Aww. and it just, it's just—it's a reminder, right? I love that. Yeah, it's just a reminder. What keeps you up at night? Hmm. My my brain just yeah. doesn't go off. Huh. I literally have to be like, go sleep, <laughs> or I'm like so tired that I just when I fall out, I fall You're out. Dead, right? it, it doesn't matter. I could be right in that corner. You go, what just happened? You know, <laughs> she left. But it's just I have so many thoughts yeah. and ideas because, again, it's like. I live, so, I'll just say it, I live so small. Yeah. Knowing that there's so many possibilities. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not just, again, it's not just about myself. It's because you want to do something to even show somebody else that they can do something. Sure. Because you can't tell me unless you know. That keeps me up. But other than that, like I have a lot of peace. I know there's a lot of things that go on in the world. There's so many issues in the world that I have to turn it down and yeah. go into prayer hmm. because there's, there's so many issues. Like if you sit and watch news long enough, which I know when I was visiting a lot of people in Houston, like the elderly community, mm -hmm. they're afraid to go outside. It's like the mailbox is a thing for them. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to get stuck that I can't even go to the mailbox, you know? Sure. So you have to learn how to pray, do what you can. If you can do something, do it and then turn down. Would you rather be an expert at one thing or average at a lot of things? My dad told me, and I didn't understand it. I had no clue what he was talking about. He was like, you got to be an expert. He told me that when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what he was talking about. I'm like, an expert? What What you mean? Like, <laughs> an expert. Just be an expert at one Just thing. Just be an expert. I, yeah. I've learned a lot of things, but if I were an expert at something, yeah. I'd be valuable. That's it. Find your passion and, and, and live with it. Who was your role model growing up? Um, If I really am going to be honest, you know, obviously my dad was such a big 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 person sure so it's hard not to say he was my role model mm -hmm. and uh but also my grandmother she was just an educator mm. not just an educator she was an educator and she lived her life with so much class and like so mind you my grandmother would be like 90 something now this was a woman she had four she was married four children she was living in like she was from texas but she lived in like chicago she was brave enough to leave her husband, which at that time I talked to a lot of women. That's not, people couldn't do that. Who sure. leave. She left the situation, didn't work for her, left, went to college, finished her education, got her master's degree. This was long before I was born. So master's degree back in those days and took a job in a small town, Jefferson, Texas, and made a whole life for herself and inspired so many people in her community. So just the tenacity and the audacity hmm. to do those things, that means a lot to me. Sure. And she was always giving. I remember there would be maybe a family of people that made just, she may see on the side of the roads. And I can remember, you know, there was no cell phones when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I remember her getting back home, getting on the phone, like, 
hey, Letha, hey, you know, she would call mm-hmm. her friends. Next thing you know, there'd be pies and everything. They would find those people down the street and she wow. would have food, you know, uh-huh. every thoughtful, giving, kind, just, she just had it. It was just nothing to her. It wasn't extra work. It's just what she was. Inspiring. That's your mom's mom? Yes. Mom's mom. Mm-hmm. And what's her name? Doris Gross. What do you like most about yourself? It's a hard question. No, not really. I think I'm funny sometimes. <laughs> I like that I like to smile. I yeah. like that I enjoy food and friends. Yeah. I like. I just like that I'll do it. If you say you do it, I'll do it. What are some qualities that you wish you had? I'm going to talk to you because you're going to help me. I wish I could be an entrepreneur. I wish I could turn my brain off Hmm. on and you could help me be a business person. I wish I had that. I find that so amazing. Yeah. So that's a superpower I wish I had. Speaking of TED Talks, I watched a TED Talk recently. Yes. um, About being bold versus being smart. Mm. Right. Um, in some cases, uh, entrepreneurs are very bold, um, but not very smart because they just kind of do things, right. right? Sometimes smart people end up talking themselves out of doing bold things, mm-hmm. right? It's a general rule, right? Yeah, it's a I good TED it. talk. I'll send it to you. But for me, like I didn't have, like I was not number five in my class. I like barely graduated high school, <laughs> like kind of a thing, but I would always make bold moves right yeah. you know why i guess because when you come from nothing you got nothing to lose right I love so that. that was the mindset i always had kind of growing up here's a key if you're bold surround yourself with smart people <laughs> that's important mm. right and that's the secret to, to i guess my success if you will i surround myself with very smart people what was the best time of your life you know i I don't subscribe to that because I was thinking that the other day. I'm like, I've had some good times, Mm -hmm. good moments, good time. And I just like to live in the now to know that this is the best it's going to get today. I've had my childhood and some good times, but I've just, I've had some great times. I can't say a best time. I really can't. And I refuse to because I don't even know what's going to happen next. I have a feeling the life's going to get better. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. And just because it ha- it talks up here, it's going to make it reality. Yeah. Right. That's how it works. I feel the same way. Right. Every part of life is just a different chapter yeah. of the book. If you had to go back to school, what would you study? You would think I knew by now. <laughs> I still don't know. Sometimes I go, oh, I'll just do that law thing. You know, sometimes yeah. I'm clear on that. And then the other thing is I have. I really have a big passion about mental health. I really do. Mm. And I've tried to take um, classes in biology and health to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. Then I realized, well, that's going to take a lot of work yeah, you know, well. to get my brain turned in that way. I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. But the way those, the algebra works, I don't know. Mm. So, But I, I really wish I had set out to be a doctor. Do you have any superstitions? I don't. I'm not superstitious at all, no. but the biggest thing is a rule that I'd like do unto others. Yep. And so I figure you live by that. Sure. Like as you want them to treat you that situation. So yeah, that's not superstition. I think that's everything. So my only superstition is I have this number that follows me everywhere. What? Yeah, it's like, it's three digits. It's the number 127. What do you mean it follows you? It, like it, it's in here now? It, it might well be. Like I was born on January 27th. 
It's the first three digits of my social. I'm not going to give everybody else the rest of it here, okay. right? My son was born on October 27th, 127. Um, when I got my first job working on the radio, I was a radio personality, worked on 127, right? It's just the weirdest thing, right? And they call it like your angel number, right? And so like if you research it, people have angel numbers. And I didn't know this. And so when I researched it, how I interpret it, it's just it's a sign from the higher powers that be to encourage you that you're doing something right and to keep moving forward. I love that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you'll just look around and you'll be like, on a document or something, it's like one Last night we went to dinner um, and the there was like 127 that was on the bill. Like, you know what I mean? Like just random right. things like so that. So you're like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm so that's way. the only superstition I think that I've got is this weird number that follows me. And the last question here, what is something that you're most proud of in your life? Something that I'm most proud of is being able to show my daughters, like every time I do something like this, mm. to show them mom's here, mm. mom's present, and she's trying. Mm. Because I know I, I'm only a woman, that's going to only speak about that, is that I know life will continue to knock you down, knock you down. And it's not because it's just what it is. You're going, you got to keep getting up, got to keep getting up. And I learned that from my father. I watched him really, really get up in a way that most people can't even phantom mm. on a big stage and have a comeback. I mean, from nothing to something and then fall back down and have the will to just do it again. Yeah, I want my children like, cause you know, they're going to, most nobody's gonna not many anybody, most people can't be a boxer mm -hmm. that's just not gonna happen okay yeah but you can be a regular everyday person who just keeps saying okay i'm gonna try and get up so that's what i'd like to leave for my daughters i've done probably more wrong than right but that's it do your girls ever go back and watch some of your dad's old fights i actually don't know no i, I don't. really don't know because they're young they're so much younger like yeah they're like, oh, he's cool. I mean, both of them have done reports in school on uh -huh. him. And I think they think it's cool. Yeah. But they love him. Yeah. So to them, that's like, yeah, you know, they just it's it's a part of their everyday situation. They didn't see. They don't know what I'm talking about when it was like, no, wasn't like that before. Yeah. You know, not like it's the same thing or anything, but my kids don't watch my podcast shows. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Georgette, I, I really appreciate you coming down to the studio to be on the show. Um, for those that want to keep up with you, how, where can they find you? Well, I'm like everybody else. I don't have a I'm on TikTok. Okay. No, I'm not. Take it back. I'm not on TikTok. I don't know why I said that. That's like dreams and aspirations in my head, I guess. But no, I'm on Instagram, okay. Georgetta Foreman, Facebook, Georgetta Foreman, and then Please, 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 please join me at Georgetta Foreman. Get fit, get fine. Yeah, I think you'll find it fun. Yeah, we're coming up on the end of our twelve week challenge, so that's mm -hmm. it. Like I'm pretty easy breezy, but you know. Well, I will be one of those that join that group. So Yay! yes, and we'll have to get together for lunch or something soon. I just I want to just leave by saying thank you. I feel like I talked way too much on here. I just want to <laughs> let you know that in my head, this was going to be a whole lot more fun. Uh, I um, really enjoy hearing your stories. So oh, thank I wish you had told more. <laughs> thank you. This has been the Jason Hennessy Podcast. This show is produced by Whitney Welsh and Jenna Kershaw. 
engineered and edited by Josh Fisher, and recorded at Hennessy Studios. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 